Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard Creative Team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. So our guests today are husband and wife power couple in the design world. For two decades, they've designed chic, timeless, surprising spaces for their clients, some of whom you may recognize, like Anna Wintour, Jessica Chastain, and Anne. Annie Annie Leibovitz. They've been named to the prestigious AD100 list, El Decor's A-list, and have been featured in publications like Town & Country, Vogue, House Beautiful, Lux Magazine, World of Interiors, El Decor, and Architectural Digest. They've just recently released their second book, Divining Chic, Carrier & Company Interiors. Welcome to this show, Jesse Carrier and Mara Miller. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It was such a treat to read your book. There, just there's such a variety. Um, there are so many, you know, sort of. There's so obviously a lot of New York, um, sort of townhouse type of uh, spaces. You're based in New York, but there's you know beautiful. Um, there's a beautiful Southern California home, and I was just really struck by yeah the diversity and the variety in color and all of the incredible little details. It just is so striking every space well thank you it's good to hear that because um as the authors of of the book when you're sort of in it and you're looking at all this the same thought keeps going through my mind which is how are we going to put all this in one book and make any sense of it because there is a lot of diversity to the work that we do and i think we do have a very broad range so i'm glad to hear you picked up on that and and can appreciate it Yes, it was it was lovely, and it was sort of like getting to you know do a little travel through the pages. Um, <laughs> since you have already written a book before, I was wondering how you approached writing your second book. Um, you know, did your style evolve? Was there more that you wanted to share? What sort of kickstarted defining chic versus your previous previous book? Well, do you know? I would say our first book. Again, we pride ourselves on really personalizing an interior for each client. And that does mean that we, we try to go broad with our aesthetic, that there's, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a signature, there's a handwriting that's, that's, that's traceable through all the work, but that we really do think about this, each client's taste and preferences. And it makes our job interesting when we kind of get to work with that kind of variety. But in the first book, we were trying to understand what we do, and we broke that book into our different approaches, how uh, we kind of can group our different aesthetic styles. And this book was an opportunity now to really, we've already talked about that, and now we could really talk about projects and how, like understanding the the basis of how we approach a project, now you can see the evolution of these projects. And I think also, Putting together the second book really helps us to see our work, uh, you know, through a fresh light, and it helps us better define our aesthetic too. I think the more that we pour over these pages, and and the you know the second time around, it's 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 a little easier than the first certainly, um, but I think that it's it's also an opportunity for us to really um, fine tune and kind of hone our vision and our aesthetic and our ethos. Well, I loved one line in particular. Well, I loved a lot of lines. So I am going to quote you a little bit because I, you know, couldn't help myself. But um, one of the lines that I liked was everyone interprets luxury in their own way. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, Wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. What are some different ways that one might find a room luxurious? And how do you turn that into a design plan to sort of turn that into reality. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, oftentimes luxury can be not mistaken for, but can be identified as a brand. You know, oftentimes there's a luxury brand that's associated with luxury. So certainly, yes, you can have a particular brand of furniture or a particular sort of 
artist that you might love or a particular, you know, carpet uh, resource that define defines luxury. But I think that when we think about luxury, we think about it in terms of ease and and how you know how a client actually lives in their home. And I think we take we pay a lot of attention to that and we put a lot of detail, a lot of sort of quiet details go into that, which I think help make a home actually luxurious. And I also think sometimes luxury is confused with formality. And I think one thing that's clear in, in a lot of our work is that some of the homes are, are more formal than others, but there's always, um, we always in a way knock down the level of formality by mixing in some natural materials, some raffia wallpapers, kind of quieting that formality so that it's really livable every day. So if a client's in jeans and loafers, they make sense in the house. And if they're having a dinner party or an, um, you know, some type of evening event, it always, always kind of makes sense. And I think that flexibility makes puts people at ease. And that's another way I think our, our projects are a little quietly luxurious. That's one of the things I really found fascinating about all of the different homes that you featured is that there's such an, a, a beautiful level of quality in every piece that you showcase in the home. But you have some some houses like the Brooklyn Brownstone, like that there's high, low, but the low is still extremely excellent quality, very beautiful. And throughout the whole book, I found myself wanting to live in every one of these homes. They felt very accessible and livable and desirable. Those are three of our favorite words. And I thank you so much for <laughs> for recognizing that. But yeah, I, I think that project in particular is a great example of high-low luxury. Yes, absolutely. You picked up on it 100%. I feel like there, you know, there are moments of um, true luxury with lacquered paneling and um, you know, gilded ceilings, but there are also lots of very livable, you know, sort of um, CB2 pieces of furniture and polypropylene carpets, because ultimately that is a family home where our clients were young and they had young kids and pets and they they wanted to live luxuriously and stylishly, but they didn't want to, um, you know, it, I, I think it's also part of part of our ethos is that we don't design these precious rooms that only get used on holidays or where family isn't invited to. Like we like for the entire home to be beautiful and livable and that the kids are welcome everywhere and that you can make a mess without getting upset. Like that's just life, right? I feel like we, we design for life. And that might also be motivated from our New York roots where there's just less space in New York. So I think people are always utilizing every inch of their home as opposed to having the formal parlor that's just for holidays or just for a tea service. We generally don't have that luxury. So I think that's also informed our design development. I loved how you spoke to the personality of each room and and specifically wanting to give each room its own unique personality, but then tying it all together within the home. So there's a thread. And I, I'm always fascinated by how to do that because that's a very, I don't know, it's very challenging. How, so what are some ways that you, some common ways that you might tie a whole home together, even though every room within that home has the sort of this unique feel or color or vibe? Do you know, I, the way we do it, we have, a, we have a lot of design process in the office. And one of the things that we always do is we, even if a client is phasing their installation or what they want to achieve, you know, with different priorities. We always design the entire home at one time to make sure we are creating a narrative. There's balance, There's the colors are making sense off of one room to the next or off of hall to the adjacent space so that there's it's always planned and, and um, balanced going into it. And then we have the luxury of balancing light from dark, enhancing, if a room is cozy, we can go in deep with darker colors and make that space feel really cozy. If we need to really create a pop of color or pop of brightness, we can think about that in terms of maybe a lacquered paint finish or just a, you know, a brighter color. 
but we do all that planning in advance. And then you can kind of, it's all always goes back to programming and we might have the cozy study where everyone's going to pile in on a big sectional and watch television versus the kind of light and bright family room that's open to the big kitchen. That's going to be more cheerful, you know, and maybe a little more lively. So I think it's, it's just like a narrative on, on creating these kind of micro um, environments. And I think once, once you have that bird's eye view, um, and to reiterate what Mara was saying, we really, we do like to start holistically and look at the whole project from soup to nuts, even if the client might only be executing one or two rooms at a time. And oftentimes our projects go on for years, you know, for, you know, for some projects we've been designing for, uh, you know, over a decade, um, in an, you know, an entire home. And those projects evolve and families change and kids grow up and you find new uses for those rooms that once served as bedrooms or study halls. But um, once you've sort of defined what the visual goal and, and the programming is for a home, you can implement it over the course of time, but it's great to have that sort of roadmap in advance. Now, do you decide the priority in those cases as well of the which room to start? Do we decide the the priority? Or uh, well, is it client in, in the in the design process, I mean, mm -hmm. we always start with the you know the sort of we call them the public facing rooms, right? The most, um, the most gathered rooms, the rooms you're going to be using the most, and then it sort of it filters down from there. But really, the clients um, direct the traffic and say, well, these are these are our priorities. These are, these are the rooms we would like. And I mean, ideally, we like to do the whole house at once and not piecemeal it. But oftentimes, um, you know. It, clients will come back years later and, and want to make some upgrades or changes. So it's great to be able to have that point of reference always to go back to and just, you know, find your roots and go from there. It's got to be amazing to work with a client over the course of 10 years and to, to really kind of grow with them and to grow with their family and see how that shifts and see how you shift. What are what are the things that you've been most surprised about that you would either keep or change in a house that you did? 10 years ago. Do you know, I would say, um, I, I would say more than not, the family is changing a lot. So we're not always rehashing the house. It'll be that they started in a starter home and then they moved to the fantasy loft. And then they decided, for example, to move to the West coast to Southern California. So we're generally kind of tracking their evolution more than, uh, I feel like a lot of our clients make, bigger changes and they bring us along for those changes, which is wonderful. And um, I'd say, Jesse, you can speak to the compound we work on with Anna. That's that's a real evolution. Yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna say, actually, I think what's surprising often to me is that it um, there often isn't a lot of change in terms of the aesthetic. And I think that speaks to the sort of timeless quality of the design that we put in with the with the hope and goal really that you will be comfortable and you will continue to love this home for decades really and that nothing is going to look uh, like a, a trend or something that you wish you hadn't done like maybe things will get worn out from use or maybe a child grows up and you know, doesn't like that color palette anymore. I mean, we're actually going through that right now with our own teenagers. We have a, a 13 year old who just, you know, for the last two years has been asking us, mom and dad, can, you know, can you please redesign my room? I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not a baby, which means like no more polka dot wallpaper no more pink ceiling. She doesn't like the rainbow rug. It's over. So like that sort of evolution we get, and that comes with the territory of, of family um, for sure. But I think Moreover, you know, the goal is the whole home is sort of timeless and you can tweak, you can change a few things, but you're going to love it for, for the rest of your life there. Wait, can we go on a tangent and hear how you work <laughs> on your child's home? Do they, I mean, your child's room, do they give you free reign or do you let them have free reign? Is it a partnership? You know, um, depends on who you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How would you answer that? I feel like we really keep blinders <laughs> on them. We haven't, they know what we do and they, they certainly have grown up in the business. I mean, we've dragged them to many a job site and to many a flea market and antique store and they definitely, they're familiar, but they actually haven't, um, 
they haven't expressed a ton of interest in what we do. So I feel like they haven't come to us with lookbooks. Although I would say the 13 year old who is the younger of the two um, is a little more savvy and she has created a Pinterest board and she has shown us the kind of bed she would like and the kind of bedding she would like. And, um, but again, she's a 13 year old girl versus our 17 year old boy who really just doesn't care. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> He's very particular. It's just not, it's a, it, it, he gets aggravated when we try to improve upon his space. But he's a teenager, um, so he's just always aggravated. Yeah, he's always <laughs> aggravated. And uh, we we had fa family friends coming to stay, and he was a camp counselor. And we're like, oh, they'll stay in Jack's room. And we tidied it up and jazzed it up for them. And, he, and we thought he would be delighted when he came home. It looked so good. And uh, he came home, and he was furious and immediately put everything back. And he doesn't like... Our comp he knows we like make composition and negative space and that there's all this and he's, he loves clutter. Like, you know, I like clutter. I think it's cozy and he just crams so much stuff in there again. So it's 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 like a that's his, how he's rebelling. Clutter, clutter, clutter. I guess there are other <laughs> worse ways, ways to rebel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> clutter you can handle. So uh, I, I read, uh, and I can't, I, I believe this might've been in a um, profile of one of Anna Wintour's homes, but saying she's described your spaces as having a sense of warmth and joy to them. And I was wondering what are some elements, large or small, that could bring warmth um, and joy to a space, maybe things that people could incorporate regardless of their budget. I think that the warmth and joy often comes from what our clients bring to the projects. I think any sort of personal mementos, we love it when clients come to us and they have a favorite chair that had been grandma's or they have some funny old vestige of a textile or you know a, a fabric that they want to make into a throw pillow or they have a collection of something. I mean, we've had clients who have, you know, collections of pottery that they want to display or collection of travel books or collection of canes. And I think those things that are more than just accessories, but they have actual meaning to the homeowner is what really in, imbues that sense of joy. And I think we, we like to take all that information in when we're, you know, beginning the design process and really figure out ways to incorporate that. And I would say to anybody who, you know, who's looking to add a little bit of joy to their home, it's really to think about what what do you love? Is there a particular, you know, color? Is there a, you know, a, a particular kind of artwork that would just put a smile on your face every time you look at it hanging on the wall? Um, I think those are very easy ways to add those elements into rooms. I know. I also think it speaks a little bit uh, to comfort, which is something we also always are very con con uh, conscious of. And that's another way that just makes people feel at ease that if you know there can be some beautiful sculptural chairs there can be smaller groupings but there has to be some places where people can really just relax a little bit and i think that also puts people at ease and creates an atmosphere of warmth and perhaps that connection that also creates some joy that it's it's really i think our interiors are people focused more than object focused i love that that's an interesting way to describe it and people focused which I it should that. be yeah though. like you know where you live should be so focused on the you know the end user so mm -hmm. that's beautiful well i do think that probably the average person that's just you know buying things for their home to furnish it a lot of times is looking at things in an aesthetic way as in the you know the sense that like oh okay i like this the way this sofa looks so this is the sofa I'm going to buy. Whereas, you know, the the materials of the sofa and the way the cushions are and how many cushions and what's the depth and what's the width, all of those things are actually really, really important. But, you know, you have to have more of a technical understanding to understand how they would then, uh, I guess, affect how you sit or would live in it. Um, or that, right, if you have a more formal sofa that's a little upright, then maybe you do a big ottoman instead of a coffee table so that people don't feel like everything is precious, that it gives people a, a way to feel at ease. 
Okay, there was this other, I was gonna, I told you I was gonna quote quote you a lot, but I, I also loved this part where you talked about how details can speak, scream, or whisper. And I loved that sentiment. Um, and I was curious if you could tell me why details that whisper are so important. I mean, we probably can all understand why things that scream are important, but um, what are these little things that are easy to overlook um, that are also very important to the final look? You know, I think what we talk about in the office is we do, when we're specifying things for a client, we do all the upholstery at once, room by room, to make sure we're getting the details for each piece right. Like if if it's it's very sleek, maybe we won't do a cord. If it's um, has some pretty details, we might want to call those details out with a little contrast cord or welt. We take all of those things into consideration, but we generally always edit back that not every single thing is detailed so that it doesn't become heavy handed. And then we do another layer when we do the throw pillows to analyze how much details did we already put into the upholstery. We don't want to knock it over the head and have fringes and trimmings and on everything so that the, the details that are going to sing, sing, and the other details just are kind of supporting. Right. And I think even if you flipping through the book, you'll see, for example, there will be rooms where we will opt to have a very bold um, sort of pattern or a stripe or a detail in a, in a window, you know, in a curtain and a window treatment that is kind of a bold arresting kind of statement in a room. And other times it'll be a very simple sort of sateen curtain panel that just has a very pretty or simple trim detail along the lead and bottom edge. And I think those are good examples of when details can can whisper or scream. And I think it depends again on that entire mix of the room. And I think as we as we build a project and we we look at that holistic picture that we keep talking about, those are the details that sort of fall into place as we go through the programming. And, and maybe it starts with the rug. Is it a, an antique rug? Does that rug have a, a bold pattern that maybe then the rest of the upholstery or window treatments want to be a little bit quieter? Or conversely, if it's a very subtle silk carpet that doesn't have any patterning, then maybe you want to have louder details in the throw pillows or you know in the wall covering that might add a little punch of color pattern what have you but i think it's always striking a balance between the two and i think it's also just like getting dressed and how people you think that are super stylish it's like usually they'll be if there's a big bold piece of accent jewelry they've got teeny tiny thin gold chain or a teeny tiny the smallest earring or no earring or if they have a bold lip they're they're not doing a lot of eye makeup i know it's very specific but it's kind of the same way we dress a room where you don't want everything to be competing because it becomes very heavy-handed so it's more important to pull back it's i think it's honestly better to be a little boring than to be kind of exhausting and we have been told that by clients who've said, you guys are just a little too tasteful. We need a little more tacky, which is fine. We can do that. We do. Oh. We're asked to. But so it's... then what did you do? Did you <laughs> <Right>. say thank you? <laughs> I think I did. I was like, well, that's a compliment actually. But, you know, that I think that um, that was in reference to, you know, that particular client wanted more color. They really wanted like really rich sort of jewel tone rooms and they, they wanted to go bolder. And I think Tamara's point, I think we always, you know, we aspire to be timeless and, and, you know, we don't want clients to ever get bored or feel like, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't made that room orange. But you know what, if you really love orange, have at it. At the end of the day, to your point, it's your home, not ours. We're, you know. We empty that. <laughs> we amped it up. Well, I I mean, on that color note, uh, if we can pivot, I just thought the colors throughout the book, too, were so beautiful. Um, the way you pair, you know, and then all the orange in the book and even the camel with the, you know, saturated blues has just just it was beautiful and um, unexpected, too. And I loved the way you pulled the colors in um, through frames and subtle details and decorative details, too. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we love color. Uh, we're, we're not shy about color. I think, again, it's it, it's just um, 
it's a very personal, you know, it's a personal call. And I think it's a very personal industry, right? We get really um, in deep with our clients and therefore oftentimes are working decades with them because you just, you develop these relationships that you really know them inside out. You know what what their tolerances are for color, for comfort, for texture, for pattern. Um, and I think the longer we're together, the better the projects get and we just, it becomes shorthand. But yes, I think we we do love color. We embrace color. And, and when we have clients, which I think attracts clients who also enjoy color. And I think um, we always take our cues from them. They, they, you know, everybody has a favorite color and we usually start there. There, we have some clients where there's a lot of saturated color, but most of our projects, it's 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 really sprinkled in. But the but it but it allows for color. There's a palette to each room, and I think that's I find that really satisfying, really interesting. That it, you don't have to knock yourself over the head to actually have a colorful home, and you can also you know the opposite. You can also have more color than just a, a vase full of flowers that there's a lot of ways to incorporate color without having a red sofa, that there's all these layers right. with throw pillows and lampshades and rugs and pottery that you can really bring in artwork, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love for you to tell the listeners just about the Tudor in here, because you have this beautiful classic Tudor home and wood paneled, and everyone can picture these dark, beautiful panels, and you have hot pink as your like accent in there. And again, the I just, in the purple, again, that home is so unique. And I just wanted um, you guys to let us know about that project. Well, that I think is a great example of uh, another thing that we do really well, which is couple counseling, um, where <laughs> oftentimes we will get homeowners who have very divergent points of view and interests, um, as you can imagine, Typically, the yeah. case is uh, the husband might like things a bit more traditional and the wife might like things a bit more colorful. Um, and in this instance, yes, this was sort of um, the Tudor sort of baronial home was really the husband's passion. He had always admired and loved these kinds of home. And this was, you know, his his crowning, his crown jewel. And um, he, of course we wanted to, and another thing we do is we, we like to be very um, tuned into the architecture and, and a bit referential to the architecture and protect the architecture. So there's a lot of existing sort of dark paneled Tudor, in, you know, interiors that we, we certainly loved, but we had to find a way to incorporate some of his spouses want for it to be a bit more light-handed, colorful. Uh, again, they had a young family and it was really about tying those two divergent points of view together. So we were able to honor the, you know, the tradition and the history of the home and we had a beautiful, you know, pattern carpet, but it's in a much uh, uh, lighter color palette so it sort of lifts i would say was an it was based on an antique but we custom colored it so that it and i think in that in the living room i think that you're just you're talking about the curtains were a very traditional uh historic chins pattern and then taking it from there we colored the rug in a very soft way and that that purple is actually a fortuny that is blue and red and so it actually still is very traditional, but it, it, it kind of is optic and it comes as plum. Yeah, we, we just use a lot of traditional things in uh, a different way. The, the coffee table has the red leather wrapped legs. So there's these little punches, but the, but the paneling is original. The sconces were original to the home. And even the we upholstery, didn't... the upholstery forms themselves are traditional forms of upholstery, but by covering them in a periwinkle blue velvet, that Bridgewater sofa becomes refreshed and and youthful, which is really what she wanted. She didn't want this stodgy old brown and white house that had brown furniture. She wanted to really like brighten it up and make it cheerful. And this is, you know, we're a young family. And so we were able to to do that, not just through the, the fabrics and the, um, the colors in the rooms, but also through the artwork. We were able to hang more contemporary pieces of art on those old you know, dark oak walls. And I think that really both helped the artwork pop, but I think it also, the artwork 
lessen the formality of those interiors. Do you, okay, you mentioned husbands and wives sometimes disagreeing. Do you find that being a husband and wife duo, you are, it's easy for you to speak to those uh, challenges or how do it's you two? It's very you know? relatable. <laughs> <laughs> do y'all typically agree on the design choices? Do you ever disagree? It I feels think like. I'll let you answer first here. I was going to say, uh, I think we have a lot of common uh, elements. It feels like we're always disagreeing because we're kind of battling over the refinements, but I think we generally always have the same overall sense of the, the intention. I think is always yeah. aligned. I do think that, you know, four eyes are better than two. I think that because we both bring different points of view to a project, um, I think that also makes our clients feel better, often, especially if it's a, a design by committee. It might be a husband and wife. It might, sometimes it's an entire family. We have husband, wife, kids, you know, that everybody has a voice. And so it's, it's, um, it's being able to listen to all those voices and come to the table with one harmonious design that we can deliver, you know, solutions we can deliver that satisfy everyone's needs. And so everyone is feeling heard, but also, you know, creating spaces that are at the same time, beautiful and not divergent. So I think it's, uh, it actually works to our benefit that we, you know, we don't always see to eye to eye. And I think that we, we can have those debates kind of quietly, not always in front of our clients, but we can then, we work them out before we make our presentation and then um, you know, it's it's a very collaborative process, I'll say. But I feel like we don't have to pretend that we're, uh, you know, a united front. I think sometimes the, the, the debate is important in front of them, so they see that we've taken all of it into consideration. And I remember one meeting, we were discussing something. I would consider it a discussion, but <laughs> my family is Italian and Jewish, so we discuss things differently, but, um, <laughs> I love that <laughs> we, we were having a discussion in front of the client and the daughter was there, a younger daughter. And she turned to her mom with like a concerned look. And her mom said, Oh, don't worry. They're married. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it I, all clicked. That made sense. Pretty <laughs> funny. I love that. Well, like Taryn, I, I loved well, I loved this house, but I did love this room in particular because I think it so obviously illustrates how how you can do both and you can make both people happy. Um, and I think that, you know, occasionally we do get questions in our decorating dilemmas um, of someone, maybe a wife who has a dark paneled room and they feel like, should I paint this white? And I think this, this is a, an excellent example to show someone that just because it's a dark room doesn't mean that the overall feeling has to be dark and you can liven it up with color. I, I loved the hot pink in here. Um, cause it just seemed like such a unusual choice, but you know, the hot pink with the Brown, it, it really, it works. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about the Brooklyn Brownstone earlier and I, I loved that room or uh, that living room because the layout seemed so unusual to me, but weren't, you know, very livable. But I wanted to know um, how you kind of start with your layouts. What, you know, because in that space and maybe you can describe it, but the, there were two sofas and they were sort of separated from each other and perpendicular. And so it just seemed sort of um, and then you, certainly not what I would have ever expected. And so, but then I could kind of see, oh, okay, I can see how that works. So how do you start your layouts? You know, I think in this particular case, um, well, not even in particular this case, I think in general, we start by really exploring as many different iterations of floor plans that we can uh, grounded in the programming that we're getting from the homeowners, right? So in this particular instance, the homeowners do entertain quite a lot and it's a family home. So it wasn't that there were multiple living rooms or, and family rooms. It, it had to serve both purposes, right? So the family's hanging out here and then when they're throwing big parties and having a dinner party and they're having 20 people over, these rooms had to sort of work to accommodate both minimal and maximal 
capacity. And so um, part of it was just making sure that there was an ample seating and that living room sort of connects through to the library, which connects to the dining room. So there's an open flow and you could sort of, when you're many people, you could sort of spill over into the library. And so the, the way that we laid out that room was um, to put as many seating groups as we could within the confines. And if anybody knows a Brooklyn Brownstone, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they have tall ceilings, but the rooms aren't really that big or generous. So um, to, to enable a traffic flow as well for, you know, when you are entertaining a lot of people, we didn't want to have that traditional sofa, sofa flanking the fireplace that might kind of block the traffic flow. So we sort of turned one sofa parallel to the, to the fireplace, one perpendicular, and then brought in different sets of chairs and a couple of stools that you could pull up to the coffee table if there was overflow. So it's really about designing for possibilities and, and lots of different outcomes because on any given day in that household, there may only be you know the, the family of five or there might be 15 people coming over for dinner and they need to be able to sort of pivot and accommodate every scenario. I know, and I think when we work on plans, I have a couple of different mottos in the office and one is paper's cheap, like let's explore it before it's it turns into something real and expensive. Uh, and also let's get the basics right before we we get creative. So we always will explore those kind of very classic symmetrical layouts, all the kind of pre-war layouts. And then once we see how the room scales with those different layouts, we kind of play with it more. And I have found that I, I have noticing personally, and kind of this question is interesting to me because the book helps us kind of see what we're doing in retrospect. But I do like, uh, I think a lot of times when people perceive a grand room, everything's floating, all the furniture's floating, which ultimately makes the room a lot smaller because now you're defining the space by these pieces of furniture. And a lot of times by letting some, like a sofa be against a wall, grounds it in a new way and opens up a lot of possibility. I also really like that these like tangential seating groupings so that it's social when there's a lot of people in the room, but it's really kind of unintimidating when it's for small groups or family. I, I love that paper is cheap. That is a great, <laughs> my dad used to say something um, similar. He used to say, uh, like, let your fingers do the walking. In other words, like look it up in the phone booth and call <laughs> before you drive over there. And it's like, okay, yeah, that is helpful <laughs> to do your research. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want. I have a question about bringing the personality out in your client's work, specifically in relation to the Wintour retreat. So Anna Wintour's um, compound retreat, it's a series of buildings and homes and cottages. Correct. So I was so surprised seeing that that uh, project in there because her public persona is so cool and tailored and traditional with a twist, you know, and so extremely chic. And the spaces that you're featuring are so English country and worn and really a soft um a soft side. So what was that like? Is that bringing her a different side of her personality out? Is that um, just going off a vibe of what she wants to create for her guests? Or what was what was that experience like? I think that is really speaking to her English roots. And I think what a lot of people forget about is that before, you know, she's before Vogue, um, she was the editor of House Beautiful and that homes are really at the heart for her. And um, I think often people forget too that she's uh, a mom and she raised two kids and a couple of golden retrievers and um, home really is very personal and, and meaningful to her. And um, she has a big extended family and she likes to host them all and be gracious. And I think that over the course of the many years we've been working together, as I, I'd mentioned earlier, you really develop 
um, a shorthand and so we understand exactly what she is looking for, what her um, what her color palette is, what her wish is for, you know, patterns and layers. And I think, you know, you see all these beautiful Swedish antiques and things that are a little hand-worn and, you know, they, they just have a lot of patina and charm. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's not exactly the, that public persona that people, you know, see or hear about in the movies, but, um, but that's, you know, that's really the core of, of her person and, and her family. And I think, um, that's part of the beauty of what we do is, you know, really getting to the heart of it and, and being able to help homeowners express what their vision is. It's so exciting. It is so beautiful and so comfortable and so lovely. It's, it's a really great, great piece. Thank you. I had the total same reaction as Liz. I was like, wait, this is, this is, this is her. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was not expecting that at all. I, was thinking something, you know, I was expecting something a lot more, uh, I don't know, I guess structural or yeah, a little more buttoned up, but I, but yeah, yeah, but I, but it is polished, but in a, you know, in a way that you would be on the English countryside. (laughs) It's very soft. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I think this is true of, of almost everyone, um, that we work with, but I do feel that home is a retreat. It's not work. It's not, you know, it's not your daily grind. It's where you go to get away from your daily grind. And so I think if you put it into that context, it makes a lot more sense. Like, you know, she has some pretty long, rough weeks, and then it's great to be able to go somewhere like that on a weekend and just unwind and, you know, be completely, you know, luxuriating in in these soft, colorful, beautiful rooms that are just quiet and unlike everything you've done all week long. Right. I also think there is something special about the fact that there's so much patina and distressing in the painterly finishes that it's just forgiving. That it's like it, it's going to look good. It can it can wear. It can age, and it's going to just get better and better. That it kind of is cutting the edge off of that kind of concept of perfection. That people can enjoy themselves and nothing well of course something really bad could happen but for the most part it's very forgiving and i always thought the interesting the the, for me uh jesse had worked with anna and then when we were starting our own company i joined and um i felt like i've come from new york offices that were very sophisticated uh that i'm grateful for but working with anna it was really interesting to see that like softness could be chic, softness, femininity could be very stylish because kind of coming from New York where there's a lot of deco inspired and kind of masculine forms, it was refreshing to see that we could do pretty and it's fantastic. And I agree that patina makes it feel so comfy. There is something again with a kitchen all banged up cabinetry. You are, you're like, I, I can't even as a guest really mess this up. So I feel like, you know, very comfortable. So, you know, you're the experts. You pay attention to the details that most people don't consider. What's something we can all pay attention to that will make our homes incrementally more functional and more inviting? I mean, f- for me personally, I love to declutter and I often get in trouble by Mara because sometimes I declutter too aggressively and things just kind of disappear or maybe don't get put away where they should. But I do find that having some level of visual clarity in a in a room, in a space, puts me at ease and makes me feel really comfortable and focused. And I do feel like it's, you know... It, it, it runs deeper than just a, you know, pretty or an organized room. But I think that there is, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, of housekeeping required to keep these spaces, um, fresh and inviting and comfortable and, uh, to keep you productive really. Well, I would say I, I, I've converted to Jesse's way after all these many, many years. I was, I used to, I still like piles and piles of paper. I, it makes me feel cozy. But um, the difference between Jesse and I is it needs to have a home to go to or it can't go away. 
So when he tucks things away, that I find more upsetting because now I feel really shaken. I don't know where the things are. I don't know how I'm going to get things done. So I really always like to kind of do a decluttering that's about organization. So when things have a home, I feel fantastic. When I open a cupboard and I see all the paper towels on one shelf, I feel so great, better than any throw pillow <laughs> that I could ever uh, have. But um, there's just something about uh, how to like de-stress your home. I think it, it really comes down to function because I find when things aren't working right, that's when the clutter piles up or that's where something's not working and you'll get frustrated. And I've learned now it means something's changed and I just have to pay attention and see what is it that changed? What about our habits, our routine is, is different? And then make a little update. Sometimes it's just better reset too. And I think oftentimes that happens when company is coming. So I feel like we recently, over the course of the summer, uh, hosted some friends who were coming in from out of town, and this was the the time when Mara was saying we uh, we gave our sons, our teenage sons, room over to some friends while he was away at summer camp, and we had to sort of tidy up uh, and make room for a family of four to come and stay with us, and it was really um, a great opportunity in the end to really take a good look around and just kind of do that do that housekeeping, do the decluttering, um, just get rid of some things that we've been holding on to for too long or that were just a little too worn out that, you know, it was just time to rip the bandaid off and, and clean house. Uh, and sometimes I feel like that's the best. It's true. We did a reset. We did all new linens, all new towels. We rehung, we moved the artwork around and everything felt and looked so much better. And it really didn't take that much effort. The new sheets and towels. There's something about that that's so luxurious. Even just changing the sheets, <laughs> exactly. you know, like every time you change the sheets, you're like, ah, oh. these feel so good. Nice, clean, crisp sheets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a great suggestion. I love that. And especially the function. I mean, I'm sure everyone can relate. All the listeners can relate to that. When the room's not functioning, it's just. But I am settled. learning that it's not us. It's really like something's changed and you just have mm -hmm. to take a step back and analyze it that. And sometimes it's simply just giving yourself permission to take the time to do it. I feel like everybody has a busy life and I feel like those things, especially for us, I feel like we're always prioritizing work, our clients, our kids. There's always something to do that's not for us. And sometimes there's a mm -hmm. backlog of, you know, that bag of paperwork, this, you know, pile of stuff that we just don't get to. We put it off and sometimes you just have to give yourself permission to just, all right, I'm going to take... A couple of hours i'm going to give myself the bandwidth to just deal with that and then once you get through that i feel like you can go you know months and months and months but sometimes you have to give yourself that day break to just focus and tidy up i would also say something that ballard's is so good for amongst many things is i would say attractive accessories like the key is also having, like real life happens, but having a beautiful basket to put some of that stuff in, having a nice tray. I personally get really excited about like a pretty tissue box. I think those little things make you feel so put together and they don't cost a fortune. And there's the finishing touches that kind of elevate and pull together all these interiors. We always say like the last, like the tiny bit of money you spend at the end of the decorating job is what makes all of it look better and look like you actually made the effort. That's good advice. I love a tissue box cover. Me too. I get so excited. We, many years ago, I read something. Bunny Williams puts a tissue box cover on every nightstand. And I have thought of that. And I, they're, they're so charming. A great gift too. And it's gracious too. I mm -hmm. feel like it just makes your, your guest feel like a hundred bucks. Like this is, you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we do have a question from our, from a listener. So unless Taryn and Liz, you have a, an outstanding question that you want to get to. No, let's get to the decorating. Mm. I loved the book so okay. much. Oh, it, yeah. it's great. Thank you. Okay, so our question is from Jill, and she says, Hey, ladies and Jesse, love the podcast. I've been listening from the beginning and have learned tons. We live in Ohio and moved into this house three years ago and have been struggling with what to do with the flooring. 
The carpet needs to be replaced. The kitchen and dining room have laminate flooring with a tile pattern. It is fine, but could be better. The foyer and sides of the stair treads are dark wood. Family room and dining room both face west. We need your advice. We have considered hardwood or laminate wood floors throughout, but don't know what color to choose due to our dark cabinets in the kitchen. We like the earthy colors of our walls and plan to keep them as is, but if you have other ideas, we are open. If we went with hardwood, we would need a rug under the sectional. You have taught us that the chairs should also be on the rug, but would the angles of the fireplace cause a problem? What are your ideas about how we should use the room with the red walls? Any other decorating tips you can share are also welcome. My husband feels we have too many decorating objects around the family room. Would love your input on that. Thanks so much, Jill. So yeah, she has sent us pictures. Um, she's got, yeah, sort of a dark um, wood cabinet with sort of a speckled, maybe granite countertop. Um, there's sort of a brown carpet in the living room. Um, and the wall color is sort of a, what would you call that? Like sand? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think she nailed it with earth tones. I mean, it's mm -hmm. very earthy. And I do feel like what struck me about the pictures uh, of the home is that the bones are good, which is always um, a great place to start. I think the kitchen looks really nice. The cabinets are, are great. The entry foyer, uh, you know, the wood floors look really nice. I feel like the architecture is is good and i would agree with her i think you know there is a, a better solution to the laminate um i would say what struck me the most was the, this um the combination of the wall-to-wall -wall carpet and then the laminate that goes through the kitchen into mm -hmm. the the dining room and my off-the-cuff uh, thought here uh, having looked at the entry foyer was that yes i i would fully support the idea of running hardwood floors through the family room into the kitchen and even into the dining room that might match what is in their entry which is a it appears to be sort of a, a lovely sort of warm brown uh, wood that goes up the staircase but I think and and this goes back to you know early days in art school and I can remember the art teacher saying keep it simple stupid right k-i-s-s -S, keep it simple stupid I think anything that kind of unifies especially in an open plan like this where one room bleeds into the next and there isn't really a clear delineation um, is to simplify and keep one material that goes through from the entry back to the dining room would be my suggestion for the floors. And, you know, the one thing that I agree with Jesse and I, we haven't discussed the plan at all together. Jill, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Just so you know. To agree with him completely. But <laughs> we also made a point of not conferring so that we could have fresh ideas, which I think is uh, fun. But I'm in agreement. Uh, and she mentioned that she really likes all her paint colors. I don't mind the paint colors, but I kind of do agree that if the unification, like she's tried to separate, like the kitchen and dining room have one color and then the family room was painted another color, but it's a little bit of an open floor plan where there's no framed openings that separate room to room. So it's kind of color blocked. And I do think that or keeping it more tonal so that if, if she goes from like a paler or a deeper color, that would also make the space feel a little bigger and maybe a little more um, connected and sophisticated. I also agree with continuing the wood floors and unless she wants to get into a mess of changing out all the stair treads, I think it is best to just stick with the same color. And I think um, that one- And then rugs really pop. It's like the benefit of a dark floor is that everything she has will be really rich if she puts in lighter neutrals uh, or even multicolored rugs on the yeah. floor. I think that the Tudor house that we were talking about earlier, um, for any listeners who need visuals, you'll just have to buy the book perhaps at Ballard's to look at this project. But I think this harkens back to that project where we were talking about the dark woods that in that instance were on the walls, but here you have the dark wood on the kitchen cabinets and you have these sort of earthy tone, dark, dark-ish walls. And I think what sort of flipped the switch in that project for us was doing a lighter carpet. So, right, if you did the dark floors all the way through and you've got the dark cabinetry, great, go, you know, go dark, but then add in a lighter rug and maybe, 
even if you, you know you're keeping that gigantic sectional in the family room you know throw some colorful pillows on it i do like that you know and this speaks a, a little bit to what we were talking about before um I love that you have a tufted, you know, a light colored upholstered tufted chair by the fireplace and then a, a square dark sectional sofa that envelops the family room. And I think on a light, a lighter rug and maybe if add some of the colors, if you're going to keep the wall colors and the curtains that are in there, maybe bring those into cushions that you can throw on the sofa and it start, it'll start to pull all of those disparate tones together and make sense of of those spaces and you know also more to what we talked about earlier is just how do you uh, thread the needle from one room to the next so that there's something uh, you know a continuous sort of look and feel and you're you're not being disrupted visually by that red room through the arch uh, you know maybe if you're going to keep that red room you know I like that red artwork that's adjacent to it um, but maybe you'll find some cushions or another accent chair that has a little bit of that red in it and, and bring that into the family room. What is the, you know, because um, she has the dark cabinetry that we talked about. So should she be concerned that if she more or less matches the, the four-year floor, it will be similar, but it won't necessarily match the kitchen cabinet. Is that something to be concerned about or are they going to be close enough that it's fine? I think from the photographs, it appears it'll be It'll be close, but I think also we embrace mixing materials too. I feel like oftentimes what makes a home really stale is the matchy-matchy effect when people feel like they just have like that color brown has to match exactly. And I, I think that there are two different surfaces. They're two different things. Your kitchen cabinets aren't your floors. They're two different species of wood. That's fine. I think um, browns, you know, browns can blend. They don't have to be exactly the same, but I think that... Um, so long as the tone is, you know, the, the tones sort of work well together and follow through, um, I think that would be a, a huge um, upgrade to that that space. I would also say in the in the red room, there, I feel like there's too much going on. Like there's um, columns at the archway that are a wood tone. I would treat them as trim. Like let the kitchen cabinet be be an important millwork detail but then paint those out. So those are the same as your baseboard, same as trim. I would say the same thing about the window seat, like let the baseboard color paint out the window seat. So it feels like that's a fully custom kind of room. Um, and I can see that like the, there's a little soffit above the window seat. I would paint that out same as wall so that it feels like a niche. Um, I was thinking that the, um, and one thing that's also, I think, important is she talked about the angle at the fireplace. And it's like, right, that, that room has a quirk. It's got the angled fireplace, which is actually great because then you can watch TV and have a fire going. So in real life, it's an ideal situation. Um, and I think giving that sectional, just a rectangular rug, it's one rule is going to break somewhere or the other. Either you're doing a bigger rug that's going to have that chamfered corner that's kind of customized and cut on site, or you're going to do a rectangular rug. And then the rule you're breaking a little bit is the chair is going to be half on, half off. And we find that that's okay if you can visually connect it. Like if the front legs of the chair and the ottoman are on the rug and it feels like you're not tipping half on and half off, it's really fine. You're just trying to kind of create visual clarity. And I think that the 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 thing I would love the floor to do a new floor to do would be to get rid of those angles where the carpet like the the tiled floor follows the shape of the island and it follows these different angles and it and it just instead of creating dynamic interest I feel like it just breaks up the spaces in a strange way and that if the floor was consistent and she could use a rug under the dining table and a rug under the sectional everything would just feel really pretty and custom instead of forced. Everything that you mentioned, yeah. I think, <laughs> makes total sense. Fantastic advice. Yeah. I mean, the, I think that um, the custom cut rug probably sounds very scary, but it's really pretty common and mm -hmm. um, not difficult for like a 
flooring company or rug company and you can go and get samples and you can pick things that aren't just like, you know, sort of broad loom. You can get natural fiber. You can get all sorts of options. So, um, you know, that I think would solve her corner dilemma, like you mentioned. So. Or she could also layer if she did like a mm-hmm. sisal large scale and then she could layer like a postcard under the sectional a patterned rug. Well, Jill, thank you for listening. Mara and Jesse had lots of ideas for you. So let us know what you do. Send us some updates. <laughs> Send us some pictures. She got a two for one. Yes, even it's luckier. true. <laughs> <laughs> two brilliant minds instead of one. Mm-hmm. Four eyes, like you said earlier. Um, well, can you all tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, and of course, buy your book? Sure. Uh, the book is available um, through Rizzoli uh, and Amazon. It is um, Carrier and Company Interiors, Positively Chic Interiors. Nope. And <laughs> you can find us at www.carrierandcompany.com. It's, it's, not, it's not 2016. It's <laughs> Defining Chic. <laughs> defining Chic. What's our Instagram, Jess? Uh, we are at Carrier and Co. Well, thank you all so much. I just love the book. I we we have an ebook, so I, this is one where I was like, I think I need the paper copy. The ebook is is beautiful, but sometimes you just need the the pages. Yeah. Nothing beats so, paper. No, <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you all so much, and loved thank your book. You. Congratulations! Thank on- you for having us. Much. This was so much fun. Thank you for your time. Yeah. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!